Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Liz Loza. Matt Harmon is here and we are diving right on in. Matt, you know what? I'm going to go off script from the top. Sorry, Ragu. We're going to do something different than we had planned. I want to talk news right away because as we were sitting down to record, I got an alert, a Yahoo Sports alert on my app and phone uh, alerting me because that's what alerts do (laughs) that Charles Robinson had reported uh, that training camps for the NFL are expected to start on time, though there is some belief that the preseason whether partially or fully could be canceled so let's dig in on this a little bit well first of all like i said before we started recording tough break for the preseason df dfs bros i know we just uh inked a deal with establish the run for them to do some content with us this year big blow for our guy adam levitan you know who's a preseason dfs uh, truther he's all about finding guys in the in the preseason, that's that is going to be kind of tough. I also will miss the annual like, wow, man, football's back! Like everybody juiced up about football. If football is back, it's here. We're excited, and then like ten plays into the preseason, you're like, well, this <laughs> yeah. is not football. The Hall of Fame game, by the way, already canceled. Yeah, the Steelers yes, Cowboys gonna... game off the map. Twice as many in 2021. That's the log line that the Hall of Fame is using because they'll induct two classes next year, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Well, I mean, big bummer that we're not going to get to see Mason Rudolph uh, and Andy Dalton go toe-to-toe in the preseason. That would have been, in the Hall of Fame game, that would have been a real treat. Uh, I still, you know, I still have my reservations about whether... You know, the training camps will even open on time. Obviously, that's the expectation right now with the league. But, you know, things can change so quickly. Um, You know, I I feel like through this entire process, my answer has been and my answer will be going forward that I feel differently like week to week about what the future is going to hold for sports uh, and what that's going to look like. So right now I'm like I've been I don't know about you personally, Liz, but I've been feeling very pessimistic this week about whether football will happen in 2020. But at the same time, that's different than I felt two weeks ago. And it might be different than I feel two to three weeks from now. I have no idea, but uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm still skeptical that training camps start on time that the season starts on time, but yeah, the preseason, I'm almost willing to just say adios to. So I am wondering if you are skeptical because, and I'm assuming this is why of the spikes that various States that, 
have one to two franchises within them are having and going through California, our state being one of them, Florida, um, I have to th- Arizona is at maximum Arizona, capacity. Texas, yeah. yeah. Um, so is that part of the reason that you're feeling skeptical that as people are watching these spikes happen, there's got to be a shift, especially if people aren't willing to wear masks? Yeah, right. Wear your, wear your goddamn mask, people. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest the biggest thing for me, and maybe, yeah, you're right. Maybe I'm feeling this way because the current news cycle is is like dictating is is more negative, and that might be a stupid way of looking at it. Because... No, I'm not saying that's stupid at all. I think that that is the data that is being presented to us at the t- right now, and so it makes a ton of sense to be like, oh, well, may- hold the phone. I thought we were doing better. Well, I think I think the thing, uh, the reason I say it might be stupid is that I think the biggest thing that makes me feel like is there you know is there going to be a football season this year is just the logistical nightmare that it seems mm-hmm. like it's going to present to keep people social distance while also play football like is there going to be a bubble situation the NFL seems seems like and I I also want to just say it's that it seems like it's just plowing on ahead while at the same time I'm confident that there's probably they're putting contingency plans together whatever I feel like we said that last time we talked but so maybe I should have been feeling this skeptical all along, but yes, I'm feeling more skeptical, I think, this week because of the spikes and because of just the tone of, wow, it really doesn't look like the USA is uh, turning things around or going at all in the right direction where the the rest of the world seems to have had a better handle on it than we do. Well, according to Charles, right now, and you're right, everything changes not even week to week. I mean, sometimes hour to hour, it feels like Uh, the NFL and the NFLPA have officially agreed upon a full squad starting date of July 28th. And the only alteration is the preseason schedule and the that's what's up in the air. And then, as you mentioned already, the the Hall of Fame game has been canceled. And so to piggyback on last week's episode, when I told you I had talked to an orthopedic surgeon and sports medicine uh, doctor at USC, you know, he talked a lot about, and you made a really good point about um, Achilles injuries being another one of those injuries that could pop up if too much rust was going on. And so I am wondering if at least the, the preseason is at least partially canceled to allow these players a ramp up to full on contact, right? Like they, they essentially will have a second training camp, another month of training camp to push forward since, I mean, as as exciting as it is to watch a dude like push a truck up a hill, it's just not the same <laughs> as being in a gym. And so I'm, I'm wondering also from a fantasy perspective, let's assume, let's, Let's be positive. You and me for once. Let's be positive. All right. Silver and linings. How, silver how, linings. Real throwback. Um, and let's assume that training camps do start on July 28th and a like a, an adequate ramp up for conditioning and working out period is prolonged throughout August and the season actually starts on time. I'm not going to get into whether there are fans in the stands or not. Are you then backing away from the continuity argument? that we have been preaching all off season. I think it's going to, I think it's going to kind of be case by case because mm-hmm. I think that, look, we know there are a few players down there in Tampa Bay right now, uh, working out together privately, despite, you know, putting, putting a system in place together, even though they're discouraged from doing so. 
looking at you, Mr. Pliability. But I think that so there's generally some teams I think that are going to start to get together at least in that sense, and there so that might actually help the continuity angle from one degree. But I can definitely see the benefit of teams actually having more time to gel if there is no preseason. Uh, at the same time, though. haven't we all said for years and maybe this is just time to throw this out that you know that third preseason game is ultra important because you know they get to kind of walk through a game situation a you know theoretical real life game situation the the dress rehearsal liz yes the dress rehearsal I, i don't know maybe that isn't as important as more reps in camp more practice reps and i think too we also have to remember just from the continuity angle, it's not as if they're not as if everybody's starting even when training camp opens. Some of these teams are still going to be behind because they have a new head coach or a new quarterback, whatever. They're starting, they're hitting the ground running when it comes to training camp. So there will definitely be a catch up period, but they still might be catching up to being behind. Well, I mean, you talked about this even last season before coronavirus was a part of our global collective and remember consciousness. That? That was- that was something. <laughs> well, you know, no, I don't think as a Bears fan, I'll never forget the opening game of the 2019 season and how awful everybody, including the Packers, looked and how sloppy that play was. And so I think, again, from a fantasy ex- point of view, we are expecting more slow starts, even from these stars. And I will say, you know, in terms of the the O-lines that are being folded. And you've got a lot of offensive lines that after the draft, we're like, oh, they've got two new starters and this guy. Like, the cohesion in offensive line is one of the hardest um, formulas or recipes to nail. And so I'm not, I will say now, my first seven quarterbacks are all mobile quarterbacks. I am not Mm. interested in taking a quarterback that cannot evade a rush with his legs because – I'm even thinking about now. You mentioning Tampa Bay, and I'm I'm wondering now. Everyone, I had Tom Brady as my QB ten because of his the pass catching weapons and the elite talent surrounding him. But now I'm wondering. I don't know, man. If that whole O line gets knocked out, I don't trust Tom. Do I trust Tom Brady? If it right, sitting duck. Yeah, the statue for sure. I I I think that's actually a really good point, and this is like. This is why I think this season could just be so weird because we awesome. have to cons- and, and yeah, like just beautifully weird, but yeah, maybe not beautifully weird in a, in a strange no, way. No, like, like let's lean into this chaos. Like there's, I am. I, this is a Jackson Pollock painting, and we have just got to see it for what it is. And I'm not. You know, I'm not saying like, Jesus Christ, can we please try to everything is so awful. I just want to find some positivity, <laughs> and the positivity means that. I don't know what's happening and everybody's, you know, for lack of a better phrase, throwing darts and making assumptions like it's kind of cool that we get to use our brain in a more creative out of the box way when examining these players heading into the season. No, I think I think that the, when I only say the only reason it might not, it's definitely going to be weird. It's definitely going to be chaotic, and there's a lot of fun in that. The only thing I'm like, maybe it's not beautifully weird because it's all brought on by a virus. That's uh, you know yeah, that part's kind of a yeah. not not exactly beautiful is what I would say. So, but anyways, I do agree that you know there are going to be situations like an offensive line might get completely wiped out or something. Like we're talking about. And I feel like I've written this in our in our team previews. I just I just wrote this in um, the Josh Allen piece that I, I wrote yesterday. Like, look at all of what the Browns have done for Baker Mayfield. They've acquired 
you know, two stud receivers in back-to-back offseasons. Then this offseason, they top it off by finally getting him a left tackle. Well, this guy might not, like, what? Right. Uh, yeah, it's a rookie left tackle who has no no chemistry with the rest of the offensive line. It might be a year where it's just all of this stuff is is moot, which, to your point, is fun to think about from just a, a projection angle. Just we might real like we never know anything. We really might know even less <laughs> this year. I think it's. In- I I also have to say I've listened to some other podcasts and I don't know as many people that are having these kinds of theoretical discussions. So, well, I think know. people. Frankly, I think people are like kind of afraid to because I think I'm afraid to sometimes too to talk about like to just say. I, I don't know so much of, of this stuff. I think it's very comfortable. And I find myself defaulting to this too. Like, I think you're good about facilitating these conversations, Liz, because I think at other in other podcasts, I'm not necessarily taking this into account into my brain as much because I think sometimes it's just easy to default into this is how we've always done it. You know, this is how I talk in uh, June, late June of any lead up to any fantasy football season. Talk about the new players added. What could that do? You know, how's this guy going to fit into this role? His success rate versus coverage, yada, 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 the same old stuff. But I, I keep saying on this show, maybe more so than others, all the normal rules could get completely thrown out of the book very, very quickly. I'm just I'm just interested in thinking in a different way because we have never lived through this. Right. This is not something in, I don't know, our parents' lifetimes that's ever existed, not since 1918. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so it's just fascinating to see the ways we can adjust um, and uh, the way technology has, like, I don't know, changed some of this and improved our ability to even have some of it, you know? So I'm just really, I, 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 I'm grateful that you are willing to engage with me because I too am sitting around thinking like, I don't know, like I, I like a lot of juke rates. I think there's good, you're going to have to have like a high juke rate is going to get me real fired up about a running back because they're going to have to run a lot. I think that actually takes us to the next point I want to bring up. Um, I am, I'm working on a separate series with that same doctor, Dr. Alex Weber, um, about rust versus rest, because I remember when the Trent Williams news that he had moved from Washington came up, um, people were saying like, wow, how incredible um, that he, they're going to get such a stud who's like been on rest forever. And then the other camp said, well, he's also hella rusty. And yeah. so there's always this debate. And I feel like, you know, if I'm being honest, uh, sometimes I use one. If I have an idea about something, I'll use one argument in my favor and maybe talk out of the other side of my mouth when making a different argument. Sure. But I wanted a medical professional because there's a, a, the opinion of a medical professional, particularly an orthopedic surgeon, when talking about some players who are... I'd say rather divisive in the fantasy community. And Big Ben, another older quarterback, is one I want to talk about because all it feels like everything that the Steelers did last year is explained away by health of quarterback, effectiveness mm-hmm. of quarterback. So is Big Ben's return having, you know, he, what, he got banged up week two of last season. That's a lot of rest. And he's great on Instagram. I don't know if you hired a social person, but he's back. He shaved the beard. He's training with Juju. And um, 
talking about his addictions. Uh, he's out there uh, unblocking people on Twitter. Notorious, like, weird blocker on Twitter. And he's out there. You might maybe this is his new social media manager, like you said. <laughs> right. Um, but there's these hype videos and he's back. And I wonder, too, if the he said that, you know, he's found God and that his connection with Christ has certainly helped his rehab. He spoke to a men's a Christian men's group, I believe, and, and said that um, that's moot to me. But from a medical perspective, you know, his elbow, that was the elbow of his throwing arm. And so I talked to this doctor about, well, is that elbow having not thrown for a while, especially in a contact game situation, a deterrent or, you know, is it helpful? And, and he basically said, listen, I know the doctor who did the surgery. He's very well known. He did Tom mm -hmm. Brady's ACL actually, uh, back in what was that? 2018, I believe. Uh, no, no, 2008, 2008, um, about a decade ahead there. <laughs> yeah. 10 years escaped me, um, 2008 and that the elbow did not require Tommy John surgery. It was just a tear fully healed would be great. However, the rust accumulated elsewhere, the lack of content sure. potentially, uh, compounded by an abnormal off-season and maybe training camp, right? Like we just talked about. We'll see. Um, um, Preseason. Um, would create issues elsewhere. For instance, um, maybe he's hesitating. Maybe he's um, not connecting as well. The chemistry is off. So he basically said he imagines him getting sacked. Hmm. And I asked him if, it, if the elbow tear um, and the surgery would affect his arm strength, the velocity of his throwing. And he said that he didn't think it should, but at 38 and being a man of particular stature, um, he would definitely live through some achiness, which means we're going to hear about it, which means <laughs> Big Ben is going to be talking about his comeback. Get ready. It is happening. But you know, I do wonder, like, if his elbow does get increasingly achy and there are defenses that know that this is a weakness of his, that know he's 38, and they're trying to go after that weakness. It's not dirty. That's just part of what happens, attacking a vulnerability. Um, does that make – does that that calm the uh, Deontay talk at all for you and maybe give you more, I don't know, a better feeling about Juju? Well, I think that – like Ben Roethlisberger, I think is one of the keys to fantasy football this year, because there's theoretically so much value in this offense, you know, Juju's coming at a discount. Johnson's still at an ADP where he's more than palatable. It's kind of getting up there, but it's, you know, I think for drafters like that are playing on Yahoo in August, he'll probably still be very, very easy to draft at his ADP. I'll say that um, James Washington, a late round player that I really like to take because again, if this offense is going to be good, that's great. James Connor, I think, is still at a, a, a comfortable like ADP, ADP yeah. for sure. But as I wrote about in a piece, like about feelings about a month ago now, if Ben, it all depends on Ben because there's a range here. Like I don't think that I don't think it's within his range of outcomes to come back as a top five quarterback. You know, peak his old form. But if he's like 80% of that, he's like a top 12 quarterback level, then I think we're good. I think we're flying there because then 
you know, I think Juju can have a bounce back season. I think Johnson can break out. I think Washington can provide some spike weeks. And if, and if Connor's healthy, then he's right back up there as a potential top 10 running back. But again, there's, that's, that's like the top of the range. You also have, if you're taking Johnson, if you're, even if you're taking Juju, in, in my opinion, any of these players, you also have to bake in the reality of, what if it doesn't work out with Ben? What if he comes back and he gets re-injured or he comes back and he's not the same player? Like you said, there's noticeable problems. Then th- then I think then we're looking at a situation where Juju maybe catches like 80 to 90 passes, maybe clears 1,000 yards, nothing in particularly special. Johnson and Washington flash every now and again, and people are like, just wait till the Steelers fix their quarterback situation. Like that scenario is also very, very possible when you're, when you're taking these players. I- I'm looking at... If if Ben's elbow is causing achiness, like also, I don't think Ben is not going to stay on the field. He is notorious for being a player that plays through a bunch of injuries. He The nagging doesn't bother him as much. I mean, he tore the ligament in his elbow. He could not. You know, he had to get yeah. surgery and miss games. But if it is achiness or I mean, I can. Imagine a scenario, for instance, where he hesitates and a pass rush gets him and he's sacked and he breaks a rib and he's out three weeks and he bandages it up, right? Like, I think that's probably more realistic. Yep. Um, but he will play through a lot, lot of nicks and bruises as he has throughout the history of his career. But when I look at Juju Smith-Schuster, who you charted in reception perception brilliantly and last year spent nearly 60% of the time of his snap share in the slot, he then has I think the benefit here because he's not the deep guy he's not I mean I don't want to touch Deontay Johnson because I don't know like what if that elbow does get messed up what if it is achy what if the velocity is affected I'm not as high on Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool for that matter because I mean there's the whole rookie angle um and Chase Claypool is expected to be the outside the other outside threat right um but we know that Juju has versatility. He is best served as a slot receiver, and at least he can be a security blanket for Ben in the moments that he's not feeling it. Yeah, I mean, I'm confident that Johnson can be a short and intermediate player as, as well as a deep guy. So I, I still think he's a full he's a full field type route runner. But like you mentioned, Juju's the obvious favorite here because his best routes in reception perception are like the slant, the dig, the the curl, all those interior in breaking routes. Those are all going to be great if he's running those out of the slide. He's going to see a lot of free releases, and he's at his best anyways inside defeating zone coverage, which would fit better with a compromised form of Ben Roethlisberger. And right now, just for reference, Juju Smith-Schuster, according to, and I'm going to reference Fantasy Football Calculator because I think it's kind of what everybody uses. So, you know, if you are much more, if you're like, I don't know, if you're drafting all the time and you're mocking all the time, then adjust for yourself but he is going I'm trying to find him sixth round sixth round right after Terry McLaurin and AJ Green yeah no I mean he's very he's there there's a reason that he's uh he's fallen but there's more than enough reason that he's gonna out I think he's gonna outkick that ADP for yeah. sure that seems like a very large pendulum pendulum swing coming off of a season where he caught under four balls per week I mean I I think six balls per week is a very conservative estimate for Juju. Yeah, I I see him as like a round four pick and like a very safe, secure type guy. Interesting. All right. So um, let us move on to you want to talk about the Baltimore Ravens? Because 
as you're doing these mocks and we have this, I'm doing these mocks and eliminators and best balls and we have this amazing best ball um, product. I, I feel like the Ravens are one of those teams. Well, Lamar Jackson, let's just start with him. I mean, Therese Paler did an incredible interview with him on Yahoo Sports a, a little bit ago, but Lamar Jackson is one of those quarterbacks now that even the most staunch, I'm not touching the position until at least round six, are thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'll do something. I mean, are, how are you, what are your, first of all, what are your thoughts on Jackson in best ball? Would you take him at the, you know, end of the second, beginning of the third, if he was still there? I feel like it's, less interesting in best ball because you can so easily compile that carousel of quarterbacks, you know, two to three guys that can get you through the season. But in a, like a seasonal redraft league, that's where I think it's really hard to pass him up. And in fact, I was doing a mock with uh, four for four and I did take him in the third round. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not convinced that Jackson's like my top quarterback this year. Dalton and I talked about this last episode. I think Mahomes could easily be my top quarterback, but I think that there's just so much safety security. And like Jackson might be the best freaking fantasy player that we've ever seen, you know, like that's well within the range of outcomes because he's an unbelievable runner and he's also clearly gifted as a passer and can be an efficient passer. We've already seen that. So I think there's a chance he's just a very rare fantasy player. And for that reason, he's hard to pass up when you're sitting there in the third, like I was in this, in this mock, I had taken Saquon Barkley before that and Travis Kelsey the round before that. I'm sitting there and uh, saying, like, man, it's really hard to pass up Lamar Jackson here for some of these goofball running back and wide receivers because everybody's making a run on those in the first couple rounds. With that being said, you know, six rounds later, I'm like, I hate my team. Because <laughs> yeah. my running backs suck. My wide receivers stink. I'm looking at David Montgomery and Ronald Jones as like my two and three, and I'm not loving it. So at the same time, but hey, we know that the draft is not the end of fantasy season. And I, I mean, I'm not going to tweet the screenshot out of that draft and get 100 likes and people like, damn, Harmon, you're so good at this. Well, but that's not how you win leagues anyway. So especially not this year when we could be looking at like 100 different replacement players. Absolutely. I did the same thing, although I was picking at the 210 spot and Jackson, Josh Jacobs went at 29 and he's a, I'll say right now, he's a target of mine every draft. I know that there are some people who are now like moving contrarian, like, oh, I don't know, is working the passing game, blah, blah, blah. I wrote an article about it. You can read it. I'm super high on him. Not worried. Um, but I took Alvin Kamara with the third spot and then Lamar Jackson at 210 because I was just like, let's do this. Like, he's not my – Patrick Mahomes is – I have ranked ahead of Jackson as well. But, man, when I look at the cheat codes in his legs, I cannot not draft him, at least in some leagues. Like, this is going to be every league. But you're totally right because after that, I got, like, Todd Gurley, Keenan yeah. Allen, Mark Ingram, right? Like, But I would also argue that – Maybe some higher floor players like those three guys yeah. are are okay compliments to a player like Lamar Jackson, who is going to be lights out, assuming health. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just there's a lot of appeal 
it's just like I said, you're not you're not going to have the cutest screenshot afterwards to post to people because your team there's the that's it's it, the problem with taking this quarterback, any quarterback early is the opportunity cost that you're forfeiting by taking another running back or another wide receiver at a position that's you know you got to start more guys that's harder to fill. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I totally get the appeal. It's just, it, it's something that you have, then have to be aware of through the rest of your draft. I think you make a really good point about taking some higher floor, uh, higher floor players. I, I just think this Baltimore offense is really interesting to me because, you know, Mark Andrews is pretty, pretty up there in terms of ADP and fantasy rankings. Mark Ingram is kind of falling. I mean, he's falling a lot in drafts that I've done. Um, JK Dobbins is, is ranked and gone going high, you know, pretty aggressively in fantasy drafts. But other than that, there's, there's, there's a lot of cheap pieces of this offenses that you can certainly buy into. Well, let's talk about Lamar a little bit, because I think you're right. And then I want to talk about the backfield, but, and the receivers, frankly, I think this is a fascinating team for fantasy and one that everybody wants to be attached to, right? So like trying to get a piece of it should be hashtag goals for whoever is drafting. Um, so, there's some dispute as to whether or not Lamar will regress. Like we had this conversation about Patrick O'Holmes, right? And last year, uh, Jackson averaged nearly seven yards per rush attempt and over 80 rushing yards per game. It's hard not to want that again. Um, It's hard also for me to imagine that he doesn't do it again. I know there was a report where Lamar himself said, I don't expect to be running a whole bunch. And like, we said last year, yeah, that's great until you start playing ball. Like, that's that's a great theory until the owner of the damn team said, don't worry, season ticket holders. We're not going to let Lamar rush the ball nearly as much as we did back in 2018. Oh, really? You're not? Um, so I think that that's a wonderful goal. But I also don't feel like, especially this year, uh, people are going to resort, resort to what worked last year and also – it bears mentioning that Greg Roman, who obviously is uh, skilled at unlocking a mobile QB's potential, was only the OC in Baltimore last year for the first year. So mm-hmm. this is the second year. He has learned things. He can build upon Lamar also his first full season. I am not expecting a rushing um, regression at all. And as far as a receiving regression, I'm not expecting one of those either. I'm Hollywood Brown could be healthy all year. People like to, everyone forgets that Hollywood was not a hundred percent last year. And you've got miles Boykin in a second year. Let's go. (laughs) Right. Like that's a guy that you, one of those 50, 50 guys that you and I loved, um, heading into last year's draft. And so I've, I don't understand other than talking about the new pieces and in the offensive line and Marshall Yanda's obvious retirement and what that does and whether this Ben Powers kid can step up and replace him. I mean, that's a big if, but otherwise, where would you see a regression other than the trope that it always happens? Yeah, I mean, the trope is it it always happens. We just we don't have we don't have a, a ton of sample of, of a guy like Lamar Jackson, you know, that's, that's the reality of it. And I think that like, I would probably take the under on 1200 yards, but I wouldn't take the under on a thousand yards. And even then that's still a huge boost. I, I think that there's, you know, it's funny too, because Josh Allen had the most rushing touchdowns of any quarterback last year. Nine. Uh, I, I think that, and he finished as QB six, mm-hmm. but I'm much more confident as a passer right now 
Well, I don't know. I mean, it just depends on what, what the Bills want to do with the with their offense this year. But that's a whole other conversation. So I, I think that I'm more confident in an efficient passing season from Lamar Jackson because, as you mentioned, like, I, I think the weapons could be much, much better. You know, Brown popping off for 16 games. I feel like I've said it 100 times, but Marquise Brown popping off for 16 games is going to be a, a huge, huge difference maker for this offense. I still do believe in Miles Boykin, and he's a guy that I think – looks very different than the rest of their wide receiver core. So yeah, there's a, there's a chance that they're, they're really looking good in terms uh, of a wide receiver tandem there. And that's going to make a big difference despite the fact they lost Hayden Hurst. So yeah, I, I think there's, I, I'm still very, very confident in, in Lamar. I, I think there's going to be some regression, maybe from an efficiency standpoint, but it won't be to the point that I'm, you know, frightened to draft him at all. Well, I mean, that that's the point, right? Like, I can see a regression in efficiency, but that doesn't correlate to production. It's just because the player is less efficient, that doesn't always mean that the points won't be there via big plays. And when you have Boykin and a speedster like Hollywood, big plays happen and can help pad stats. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to, he's not going to have a 9% touchdown rate again. He's, he's That's not going to happen. Um, but that doesn't mean that he can't, you know, throw 28 touchdowns. He can't throw 30 touchdowns. It's just going to, it's a, I mean, there's going to be something shaved off the top, but that does, again, that doesn't mean that he's suddenly going to be the seventh best quarterback in fantasy football. Like he's coming off a historic season. You can lose some juice off a historical, a historic season and still be really good. I think that's fairly put. Um, we were just talking about the receiving core. There were some whispers that have been dampened down, but I want to throw it out there, that Antonio Brown could be joining this receiving core, obviously Hollywood Brown's cousin. Um, do you think that that is a real possibility? I mean, he, also, I will say, here's another question, just to paddle back a little bit. If we're talking about, and we did last week, about... Um, players like street free agents getting picked up and playing because of the Corona situation, then drafting Antonio Brown. Yes, of course, in best ball, but let's talk about redraft. Are you spending a roster spot on him? Assuming that I don't know whether it's Seattle or Baltimore, but somebody picks him up and, or in the next two months, things get dire enough that, you know, if a, a someone in the receiving core is now, they like need another body and Antonio Brown can certainly come at a discount given uh, the, I don't know, off the field and on the field antics of the last year. Well, I mean, he would definitely be one to talk about your rust versus rest uh, angle. I mean, he, we haven't seen this guy play football in a long time. I, I, I just, I definitely think there's some logic to taking him with a double digit round pick. Like again, we're, we're looking at, we're looking at a very late ADP where half the more than half the players drafted there are going to be on waivers at some point during the football season, whether it's Corona induced or not. Uh, so mm -hmm. I, I like who cares if you spend a, a draft pick on him and you cut him in two months when he's not on a football team. So, so it doesn't really it doesn't really matter. But I also think, you know, Antonio Brown was the best route runner, one of the best receivers that I've ever seen play the game. I would I, I tend to doubt that we're ever going to see that version on a football field again even if we do see the player Antonio Brown on the field we're not going to see that player I also don't love I don't love the fit in Baltimore because I'm excited about the young players there and I want to see them develop 
a place like San Francisco is kind of interesting because they had they need that. Yeah. They need the help. They had a excellent separator last year in Emmanuel Sanders. And I definitely do not think that they had currently have an excellent separator in their wide receiver room. So that's actually, if we're talking about contenders that have a need, that's a spot, but I, I don't think that they would do it from a culture perspective either. So, and in Seattle, I really don't want them in Seattle. Cause I want to see like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf being like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and splitting the passing game, like 50, 50 right down the middle. I do think Seattle makes a lot of sense. And the reason I mentioned Baltimore was because he was connected yes. to Baltimore. Um, reports were connecting him to Baltimore. Um, I, I think Seattle makes a lot of sense. I mean, character issues and Pete Carroll. Do we really need to? From, from, from a culture perspective, I get why like it does make a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, They just took a chance on Josh Gordon last year. Not the same thing, but still. Um, I just think from from like what I desire perspective, I don't need the team that already runs the ball sure. too much, doesn't <laughs> throw to their already good receivers enough to add a Hall of Fame receiver who's going to demand some volume and then take away from Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, who I think right all might already be right now a top five wide receiver duo in the NFL. Like from that perspective, that's what I mean when I'm saying that they could be Mike Evans and Chris Godwin from last year. Like, it's those two guys and nothing else matters. And for Seattle, I think that's especially appealing because they don't throw the ball enough anyway. Right. So why not just funnel it through these two, I think, 1A, 1B type receivers. So for that reason, I don't want to see Seattle sign him. But, if, yeah, from a culture fit perspective, it makes sense. Well, I mean, I, I will disagree with that. I think at a real football point of view, they need a wide receiver three. Like, I, I like David Moore, but come on. He's sure. not cutting it right and greg olsen sure, I just, is great and my big guy from big sky but will i understand disley. from yeah will disley like you know is it he obviously got hurt last year and um i understand from a real football perspective how they might want to boost their receiving core and if they can get a discount on antonio brown that makes a lot of sense but i also understand from a fantasy point of view you know it's it's not ideal for people who want to draft Lockett or particularly are riding on like more Metcalf and a breakout in his sophomore effort. It's really tough just with the Antonio Brown thing too, because just how do you how do you just how do you sell that to, to to people after like he flamed three teams in less than twelve months? You know, yeah, I, people don't have. I don't think people have long memories, and I think this year in particular, you can probably sell anything to anybody. That's a fair. This year, I think, does make uh, an exceptional point. I think there's, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like, if he goes out there and he plays well, like, no one will care because no one ever does care. But yeah, it just is like, I, I wonder how I wonder how much like players care. You know, I wonder, I wonder what like Raiders players think of Antonio Brown you know maybe they maybe there's not like this ill will towards him or whatever I, I don't know I, well I, we know I, what the Steelers think of him so there's a start we, we know what the Steelers think of him uh but right. even, even even like you know like talking to Juju at the Super Bowl like even he's like would readily admit that Antonio Brown was a positive presence on the field you know like would go, would say that type of stuff when asked about it but it, it's I just wonder if, if what like a ne his next team would they even be able to see that much positive to be like yeah let me bring in this guy that there's going to be a ton of attention and you know can has already shown he could fly off the the handle in a minute yeah 
again, I think Pete Carroll, like that rah-rah Pete Carroll, yeah. has a knack for containing that sort of energy and making it work in his favor, at least for, you know, interestingly, since he's a college coach, a four-year period of time at a time. Yeah. Um, Didn't work let- for John Gruden last year, despite, his, <laughs> despite how much he tried so hard on hard knocks, tried so hard. And it didn't work. But isn't that like the point? Because it wasn't authentic, right? Like you and yeah. I could watch that and be like, oh, that's not real. Like I, yeah. I can sense his lying already. And I think that that sort of thing just translates. And if people are willing to be authentic and vulnerable, um, then the, and they're winning, then, <laughs> yeah, <and laughs> then they're winning. that caveat is important. Then I think that that just does something that charges somebody. But I want to talk about um, the, the backfield in Baltimore before we get too off track. Because you mentioned how Mark Ingram's ADP has slid downwards and uh, J.K. Dobbins is moving upwards. I find this particularly interesting because, as we discussed a few times, like I loved Dobbins. I had him ranked ahead of Jonathan Taylor um, and DeAndre Swift and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on my personal rankings. I love his authoritative running style. I love his durability. I love his three down skill set. I love his ability as a pass protector, which I think goes understated often and was is mm-hmm. particularly important if you are looking at um, a team that lost their veteran center in Marshall Yonda and you're looking at a playmaker who is a little bit risky and that's why he's so exciting to watch in Lamar Jackson. So But I also think about Mark Ingram, and I believe you interviewed him at the Super Bowl as well. No, Michelle did. Um, I I look at Mark Ingram and I think about how much of a culture key, I'm using the C word, he is. You've thrown it around a lot so far, so we're all good. He is so important to that team, the hype man bit. And this is a franchise that has honored that sort of veteran culture mentality in you know the Harbaugh era so I just and and the team doesn't have a contractual out until 2021 so while I think that J.K. Dobbins is absolutely the future I just don't see Mark Ingram going away anytime soon unless he gets injured and good luck we can't really predict that there are websites that can't even predict that and that's a job to predict yeah, exactly. Um, I, you know, Mark Ingram did finish last year with a couple of um, with a couple of injuries. Remember, you know, he's kind of like questionable for the playoffs, whatever. So that is worth worth noting that they did ride him pretty hard, and then and then you know, yeah, obviously gets hurt. But like you said, we can't really predict that type of stuff. But I do think that maybe they could look at it being like, hey, let's get the best out of Mark Ingram from like a per touch perspective by dipping into this rookie a little bit who does fit their system very well. He was second most yards rushing from the shotgun last year. Obviously the Ravens had like a 6.8 yards per carry from the shotgun last year. They were a very good shotgun rushing team. Dobbins fits from that angle, which is why he could have, you know, a monster ceiling next year or this year. If there is an injury, I think that's, that's why Mark Ingram is appealing because you know, maybe Dobbins just does like I just find myself not really wanting to draft a lot of rookies this year and, and it could be yeah. total total BS, but I just I feel like it's gonna take so long for everybody to gel. Like I said, everybody, even if they get into camp on time, they're getting into camp behind. Even if they are uh, starting on time. So I, I think that in general, Ingram could come out hot to start the year, which would be great if you draft him because then you can start preparing 
for what's next. You know, start being aggressive on the waiver wire to look for maybe some of those high-end backup guys that we love to, to to hold on to wires in the second half of the year. You could you could look at it that way. You could also look at it that if Dobbins just doesn't have it in his rookie season, which is totally possible because of the COVID uh, truncated offseason, then Ingram just holds the same role that he had last year, but you're getting it at a quite a discount. Ingram, not for nothing, was the RB8 overall in fantasy last year. Yeah, very good. Not like he didn't put up points. You know, I think we're treating him because he's 30 like this. Um, just because a team has drafted the future doesn't mean that they're not going to, and I think you put it perfectly, get what they can out of the vet that they are contractually tied to for more than one year. By the way, his contract is through uh, yeah. 2022, but they just have a potential out, which would which would create dead cash. Uh, in 2021. So uh, I think I think Mark Ingram is an interesting value. And I agree with you that it's going to be we're going to see I am really feeling like we're going to see a lot of injuries over the first month of the season, especially if preseason is cut. Um, And so yes, like it's we talked about Leonard Fournette in this in the same regard. Like, do I expect (laughs) Leonard Fournette to finish the season? No, but do I expect him to see a heck of a lot of volume, you know, up until Halloween? Yes. And then you got to adjust. So it's also interesting if you draft J.K. Dobbins and you're going to assume players are getting hurt at um, a faster clip than usual. Maybe you don't want to make that assumption, but it's the one that I'm going to make. Then how long are you willing to keep a roster spot open if you are forced to start replacing players and use the waiver wire more uh, readily than previous years? No, I think we could see plenty of situations where I think of guys like Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones when they were really aggressively drafted in fantasy, you know, like sixth round picks or whatever in their first couple of seasons and or not the first season for Aaron Jones, but second season mm-hmm. after the mm-hmm. suspension and all that. And people drafted them and hated it because the guys in front of them, Carlos Hyde, Jamal Williams, respectively, like still got a decent amount of volume dropped them and then people picked them up in the second half of the year and then they're then they're really good picks and you keep but you can't take a victory lap for drafting dra- drafting them because they were useless for three quarters of the season mm-hmm. i could see plenty of rookies being that type of player this year all right let's finish on this note what to you who is let, i'm gonna do it it's not on the outline sorry Ragu again player that you are feeling the most suddenly warm or cold or conflicted about Warm, cold, or conflicted. Like maybe you were warm a couple months ago, but now it's chilling, feeling a little chilly, or or you were cold, but now you're warming up, or you just don't know what to do with them. I, I think I think that one one player that I do I kind of go I mean I kind of go back and forth on I'm getting like warmer and warmer on Terry McLaurin by every passing hour, but we talked about him on last podcast, and I feel like that's a guy. Oh. I, that's a guy I feel like I default to talking about all the time. So I'm trying to think like guys who I don't talk about enough um i'll give you one i'll buy you some time yeah buy me some time god clearly i need it <laughs> I, well no i mean i i just had this idea but i am perturbed about keenan allen i will oh, admit this is that a good one this is a good right? one. right yeah. a star player versatile player has in fact you could you know testify to this uh at a better level via your your charting but I think was the player that started the whole 
can he be more than a slot receiver argument um, grew into, we talked about, you know, Justin Jefferson as a comp from this rookie year grew into an outside receiver as well, has that versatility. And yet he's going in the fourth round at the yeah. end of the fourth round. And I feel like he's one of those higher floor players. Like if I'm going to attack robust RB and try in the first five rounds to grab four running backs, cause everything turns into a wasteland after that. I talked about Allen Robinson being a target, but if he's not available, maybe Keenan Allen is the is the player. Um, I guess the question is mostly how does he survive with the quarterbacks? Is he a good enough receiver to drag a quarterback, two quarterbacks that are very different, very different playing styles different. Into, into production? Does he have that in him? We have seen Nuke, for example, do it before, but Keenan Allen doesn't have the same skill set. So does he have that next level ability to continue to ascend? I'm th- Off the top of my head, T.Y. Hilton's another player, right, who can usually just, if he stays healthy, squeeze, drag somebody into production, give you just enough to kick, to be val- to ROI on the ADP. So what are your thoughts about Keenan Allen? Let's just freeform it. Let's talk about the whole Chargers in general as a team I'm conflicted on. <laughs> like, because, damn, I love Austin Eckler. Man, I mean, Keenan Allen is the best, one of the best route runners in the league. I, I think he's open all the time. Reception perception would show you that. Reception per- perception would also show you that nobody was thrown into more high degree of difficulty situations than Mike Perfect. Williams last year. Uh, yep. And also conti- like continues to convert them. I feel <laughs> a part of me feels like when watching Mike Williams, I'm like, I wonder if just a team would sit back and say, I don't care what the route is. I don't care what the separation is. What if I just threw this guy 150 passes downfield per year, you know, near the end zone, whatever, and just see what happens. Cause guess what was happening last year? Philip Rivers was throwing him them lollipops deep downfield. And Mike Williams was making some pretty unbelievable catches. Just didn't get a lot of targets as, as we know, and didn't score a lot of touchdowns. Uh, and Hunter Henry is still a very good tight end. And they did at least add some pieces on the offensive line. We know, but <sighs> I mean, I went back, I just wrote about Josh Allen and I was kind of writing about how he originally got there, which was that the Bills looked at Tyrod Taylor and decided, okay, as safe as he is and as secure as he might be as a starting quarterback, we have no ceiling with this player. And I think that was probably the right assessment. Uh, And, but at the same time, one of the one of the old Bills coaches under the Rex Ryan era, obviously Anthony Lynn is now the head coach of the Chargers, and they don't really have an offense to be a ground and pound type team. No. Like they can run the ball with Taylor and they can run the ball with Eckler, but that's not how you really want to use Austin Eckler. It's not as if they got some grinder in there this offseason. They don't really have the offensive line to do it. So part of me wonders, I think Taylor's a good enough passer, especially Think about what was a constant criticism with Taylor as the Bills starting quarterback. He never threw outside. He never threw Mm -hmm. deep outside the numbers. Well, that actually would be kind of a good fit with a player like a Keenan Allen, like an Austin Eckler. So I remain, I think, ahead of the market bullish on those two players for that reason. And I mean, Justin Herbert, though, is a big like what if in this scenario, because when Herbert was drafted in like a ideal world where there's not a pandemic, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this will be, this will be the exact same situation. Like it was with Mayfield and, and Tyrod Taylor where Herbert's in there by like week four. 
and right. Tyrod Taylor just doesn't matter. But I wonder if because Taylor's very familiar with the offense, he's been there a couple of years now too. Like I said, history with the coach, history with the players. Maybe he ends up starting eight to ten games, and Herbert doesn't see the field very much this year at all. That I think is is possible. And in that case, uh, maybe uh, maybe like the the tendency to say mobile quarterback kills the value of pass catching running back and where he's just not going to, this is probably true no matter what, he's not going to lead a very voluminous passing offense. Maybe we're over correcting on that. Cause I agree. I find Keenan Allen there all the time in drafts. Like this is my highest ranked player left. I should probably yes. just take him. Well, and he's, it's not like he didn't put up good numbers last year, right? Are, are, are we, are we believing Phillip rivers to be that good? Keenan no. Allen was a top five, uh, top eight receiver last year. He was, let's see, um, he was absolutely crushed it to start the year. Like totally was dropping hammers very early on, which maybe that was when Philip Rivers was actually at his best, you know, before his arm strength started to really. Well, arrive. and that would that would equate for Tyrod Taylor, too. Right. Like and the yeah. fact that Tyrod's a little bit more mobile. I don't want to talk about like his durability and whether or not he's going to stay healthy. But the fact that he is more mobile behind that offensive line does make me like him a little bit more than Herbert, who is, you know, a knock against him. I know he liked to run a lot during the senior bowl to show that Scrambler, he was mobile yeah. and he does have some quicks, but he is I would say less seasoned at being mobile than Tyrod Taylor right now. And he does have a cannon, which you hope will work out well for Mike Williams. But you're, you also have to imagine that there's going to be uh, talking. I mean, the, the, the knock against him was his decision-making. So how often is he being told, check down, check down, just throw it to your number one receiver. Who's probably going to be in the slot. Just give it to Keenan Allen. He will, catch the ball because that's what he does. And then he will run for another 20 yards because that is what he does. Like top 10 in y and yak top six in red zone receptions, top five in receiving yards last year. Um, I, I just don't see a world in which if you're looking for a high floor receiver to, I don't know, just kind of stabilize the core as you're pounding running back, why he should not be a target at value. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it's just one of those, it's one of those th things where I just want to bet on the player, you know, and, and Allen is one of the best receivers in the league. He's finished at or above the 93rd percentile in success rate versus man coverage in all four of his last complete seasons for reception perception, finished above the 87th percentile in verse press in three of those last four. So he's a complete number one full field receiver, great on contested passes too, great across the entire route tree, deep, short, and intermediate. I really think that we could just be looking at, you know, it's not, it's by the way, Sammy Watkins best season of his damn career came when Tyrod Taylor was his quarterback. You know, I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we could be the Royal. We could be overstating the impact of losing a washed up Philip Rivers that's as the, the point quarterback. That I'm trying to make. Like the Chargers are going to suck. What have they done though for the past umpteen years? Why are we all of a sudden? What happened to finding? I mean, if we can be high on Allen Robinson and he's on a crappy team, why can't we be high on Keenan Allen, who and bet on the player as the best option on the field, regardless of the quarterback? And so I'm just asking people, since we started this podcast that way, to change your perception a little bit. And what do you you call like, like? Eschew the, sh the sheep, right? Like, screw the group thing. That's something you say all the time, and I'm on board with it. Shear you say it better I than I, I did. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, don't listen to the sheep. I don't know. What, <laughs> do I say that? 
I mean, yeah, I definitely say like... I definitely say sheep. I call people sheep a lot for sure. Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, I, we did it. All right, we did it. We're done. I'm with glad. This I'm really glad you brought that up because uh, that is something that has been. I have been thinking every time that I am on the clock in drafts, and Keenan Allen is always there. And like, I mean, it's Diggs and Keenan Allen are the guys that I'm always like, man, these two players are really too good to be at the point where they are. I, I think I and Diggs actually ends up going much later than Keenan Allen, but but still like. I think your point too about, hey, you built around a lot of running backs early. Take one of the safest bets at wide receiver possible. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really good point, and I think it's it is something where I have been feeling conflicted because, like I said, he's there all the time in drafts, and I want to just shut up and bet on the player, especially when the quarterback situation might not be that bad. Like Herbert might might be that bad, especially as a rookie. I don't know, but. Sure. If Taylor's starting for two months, my guy Tyrod, I love Tyrod. Virginia Tech, shout out. I'm going back east starting tomorrow. Shout out to Virginia Tech, man. I mean, look, it's, it's all coming full circle. All right. Well, there there's your lesson for the day. So screw the group think. Don't be a sheep. When Keenan Allen falls to you, don't look around being like, what's wrong with me? Why does nobody want him? I think I should take him because that's definitely, I've been like, um, does something, somebody know something that I don't? Yeah. Uh, and apparently, no, they don't. They're just sheep. So that is the note we're going to end on. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back on Tuesday. Don't forget to subscribe to the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Therese Paler and Charles Robinson while you're at it. And you can sign up for fantasy football on Yahoo Sports right now. We have standard leads. We have best ball. We got lots of things. So check it out. Also follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. And that is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And we are out. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, where our current focus is on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, as well as the 2020 elections. Subscribe and download Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts.